The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of local Seattle-based wealth management firm, Empirical Wealth Management. With me today is my co-host, as usual, Ethan Broga, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Planning. Hey, Ken. And a partner in Empirical Wealth Management. How are you doing? We're good. Good. Well, we've got some exciting stuff as usual, to talk about on today's show. (laughs) We're going to go through some of the current events. There was an announcement uh, about the the recession we'll talk about. We're going to dig into the mailbag and talk a little bit about some questions that we received from clients uh, or listeners about the small cap premium. We're going to talk about and play the remaining clip from our interview with Ken French from Dartmouth University, the academic, uh, well-known author. And... uh, and much, much, much more. The purpose of our program is to provide you as the investor or advisor out there with wise investment ideas. Uh, We want to help you make smarter financial decisions. And our namesake empirical stems from the fact that we look for evidence-based approaches. If we can't find empirical support or research from unbiased, as unbiased as we can find third-party uh, research that's out there, we, we typically won't recommend the strategy. So we're on a journey, as it says, to find the truth, to find the best ways for you to enhance your wealth, to protect it, to grow it, preserve it. And to that effect, Ethan, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, how investors and advisors can go ahead and contact us and how we can help them. Yeah, we are listening to the show. What well, we, we would happily spend some time answering some questions that you might have. Uh, you can reach us at contact at empiricalradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com. And our phone number is 800-254-0398. And as Ken was mentioning, um, our strategies, for the most part, we're trying to find out what the evidence says about either investing and or financial planning and use that as the, the bedrock for our advice. And if you're 
and an advisor out there currently working for another company, but perhaps looking for an opportunity to um, to take the next step, perhaps to a fiduciary standard, uh, which we hold ourselves to, and perhaps join our team, uh, we would welcome a, a call from you. We we offer a lot of advice on this program. We give ideas and concepts, but we do believe the evidence is pretty clear that most people need help from a trained professional, and we believe that help should be delivered in a as much as possible a environment where the client is on the same side as their financial advisor, exactly. same side of the table. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to help investors all over the country, and we we believe if possible we'd like to do that by having professional advisors on the ground in that local area to deliver this empirical advice and so that's why we're looking to connect with financial advisors who are looking to build a business that that they can grow that they can take care of clients um, and we'll provide them we've, we've got a very uh, robust research group that takes care of the portfolio management work that we do mm -hmm. and the investment and financial planning tools that we've we bring to bear yeah, there's lots of things that go on um, behind the scenes, as it were. I mean, we we want our advisors that we're, we connect with to be primarily working with their clients and delivering the, the the great advice that we can deliver, and not have to reinvent the wheel in terms of, you know, dreaming up the the, the marketing strategies or uh, the portfolio tools or any of the the research that goes on. We are we're offering basically the infrastructure from which you can uh, take a step back from that and really focus your energies on serving clients directly. Well, enough about us. Let's dive into uh, today's program, Ethan. Let's do it. So uh, I think we're going to start today with a little news, news of the week uh, segment. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pull up some news. I, uh, I, I like to hang on as I'm reading news articles throughout the day, throughout the week, Ethan. Mm -hmm. and, um, we only do the show once a week, so I like to hang on to things that may not be announced the exact day that we're talking about it, but it it's still very relevant. And last week, the uh, it was a Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal, Wall Street <laughs> Journal article. <laughs> I'm just trying to save everyone time here, so right. I'm creating my own words. Uh, that that the the uh, organization responsible for dating um, changes in the business cycle said that the U.S. recession that started, they identified the start date of this recent recession is December of 2007, that it actually ended in June of last year. In a statement on its website, the National Bureau of Economic Research said that in determining an end to the downturn, the committee did not conclude that the economic conditions since that month have been favorable or that the economy has returned to it operating at normal capacity. As worries persist about the struggling U.S. economy and its future the Nubers that were NBER warned any future downturn of the economy would be a, re a new recession and not a continuation of the recession that began in 2007, in December of 2007. Um, so I think there's a couple things we can talk, Ethan, if you're up for it. I think I am. Let's How do it. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very energized right now. Good. Oh, you should be. I had an energy drink. Good. Good. <laughs> let's do it. Um, well, let's talk about it. So that was the news, right? That's that's That's... A pretty, pretty interesting piece of news. Probably pretty important, and pretty impactful. And we happen to uh, have wrote a paper 
And if Simon's doing his job, these articles that we're writing and, and also research papers that we're pulling from the best and the brightest around the world should be posted. And where we can't post the paper, we're going to be posting the links to these these academic papers and other research papers that you as our listener, you can go on to our website and uh, check them out. And there's a couple websites that you can go to. We'll be posting on our radio program. There you'll be able to pull up the archives of the interviews of the academics and the authors and, and, and things that we've interviewed at EMPIRadio.com. Just go to that website. And uh, I want to have links to all the interesting articles. And then there's also our, our website for our company, Empirical, which is EMPIRICALFS.com. EmpiricalFS.com. And you'll be able to find these things archived. But we, we, uh, we wrote an article, and I'm going to pull it up here. And, um, hey, Simon, if you could get some typewriter sounds, that'd be great, too. So we're doing that. More sound effects. Uh, yeah, like it. we're in the press room or something. Right. Stuff is hot off the press. Uh, and anyway, I, I think it's worth, if you're willing to take this journey, Ethan, to look at what we wrote. I think so. Um, back in 2009. And we wrote this article February 19th is when we sent this out, 2009. And it was called An Empirical Examination of Recessions. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a few interesting nuggets that we can we can talk about. Number one is what's, what's the definition of a recession? Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Number two, let's talk about the advice that we gave in this paper and what people should be doing and how they should be positioning their portfolios. All right. And number three, if we have time, I wanted to talk about uh, um, what what uh, what is uh, the some of the average average statistics surrounding stock market portfolio uh, performance going in, during, and out of of recessions. Sounds great. Okay. Well, according to the the National Bureau of Economic Research, um, the way they define recessions, a lot of people thought it was, when we were going into this, that it was defined as two consecutive quarters of GDP decline. Um, and the Nuber says, no, that's, that's not how they define it. Um, rather, they define a recession as a significant decline in economic activity spread across, across the economy, lasting for more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. Hmm. Now, they don't, they don't make an announcement um, that the economy has entered or exited a recession until several months or even years after the fact. So in this case, um, this most recent uh, recession, um, we're just now, they're just now announcing when we got out of it. Right. So they're saying it was June of, of uh, 2009, right? And it lasted 18 months, right? Right. That was- so we, we don't, they don't usually announce when we got in or when we got out, but it's pretty evident, I think, to most people that we're, we were going through an economic downturn. No question. Um, but the point in, you know, we make in the, as we go on to this paper is that, uh, um, you know, the, the, even the, the, the professionals, uh, who are part of this organization have a very difficult time pinpointing the exact timing and when we come in and out of a, of re, a recession. Um, and often there's false starts and there's, there's times where there was no recession, um, when things slow down or, or things pick up because it's kind of across the board. There's not one trigger event 
Um, when we looked at, in, the, in our paper, we kind of dissected the last nine, the previous nine recessions going back into the 50s all the way through the, 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 decession, the recession in 2001 that occurred. Some average statistics around that were, you know, during, uh, during this, the, the recessions, the average return for stocks was 7.17% during the recessionary period, um, out, outperforming one-month Treasury bills that averaged around 5.49% during recessions. So five out of nine recessions studied experienced positive returns throughout the recession period. Average stock market returns from the bottom through uh, six months after the end of the date of the recession were 35%. Average stock market returns six months prior to the start date of the recession were negative 0.44%. And five out of the nine recessions studied experienced negative returns leading into the recession. Wow. So the, the point, the average recession length was around, give us some more statistics here, around 10 months with the longest recession lasting 16 months. The shortest was six months. Um, and I think, as you said, the, the, what we're looking at is about an 18 months for this last period. So not too far off the average. Yeah, but a longer bit. Right. Uh the market bottomed and, be and began to recover on average five months before the official recession end. And if we think about that in the context of if, if the recession ended in June, um, not too far off from, you know, incredibly far off from the fact that March 9th was the, was the low point in the stock market. Right. Um, hey, I can real quick. Yeah. Simon's giving me the, the word here. We're, we're ready for a break already. Oh, geez. If, you're ready, if you can believe that. Okay. It's fast and furious. Let's, let's head into a break then, and we'll come right back and pick up on this. Sounds good. This is good stuff. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? 
The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right. Ethan, let's get right back to it. We're back. Let's do it. Okay. We were talking about recessions. We were talking about what's in the news, that the National Bureau of Economic, uh, the National Bureau of uh, Economic Research announced that that we, the date of the end of the recession, and um, they they pegged it at June June thirty of or June of two thousand nine. Right. And we were going through the letter. That we wrote February 19th of 2009, an empirical examination of recessions. And I was saying you can download this off of our website, empiricalfs.com or empiradio.com. And what we were talking about, Ethan, was the fact that this paper was outlining the previous nine recessions going back to the end of the 50s, recession of 53 through 54, Mm -hmm. and all the way up, and that the Mm -hmm. average recession... You know, length was about ten months. Okay, longest was sixteen. So this one was was it did exceed that, right? Um, and and some of the average statistics about what was going on. And the gist of this paper when we wrote it was, if you're trying to make stock market uh, or adjustments to your portfolio based on when we enter or when we exit a recession, um, that wouldn't have been very fruitful, right? Um, because we tend to the market begins to decline has on average declined. Before we ever enter a recession, um, the, the formal date and the recovery, more importantly, is when you're market timing, you need to be right on on the way out and on the way in. Yes. Right? Both ways. And the recovery periods um, tend to happen before, before the formal ending of the recession, before the economic data shows that we ended the recession. And we don't usually know that for several months, if not a year or more. Um, after the fact that we've ent- we've exited it, right? You're not going to be able to to know exactly in the thick of it when the recession begins or when it ends, for that matter. Right. Y- there's no way your your feelings are going to be right about that. And there's no amount of data you can get your hands on immediately that tells you the answer to that question. Right. So it's hard, hard if not impossible to do. Time in, I mean, exactly right. So if we were pulling, you know, if this was a vault item, if we put our letter in the vault back in February. Um, yeah, and uh, we were pulling it out now. Now that the recession has been has ended, right. what was the advice that we were giving investors at that time? Let's hold ourselves accountable here. Right. And so this was February. It was a few weeks before we hit the the market bottom in March 9th. 
And in conclusion of this, we were saying, hey, you know what? The, the historical data is clear. It's impossible to predict when we will enter or exit a recession with precision. However, it appears that in the past, knowing would not have improved returns for market timers anyway. This is typically explained by the notion the market is a forward-looking mechanism reacting to unpredictable events. Though markets often begin to decline prior to the start of what later gets categorized as a recession, they often are false to explain why markets did not always decline before or during previous recessions. It wasn't that it always declined or always went up. It was, it was a mix. Um, so we were saying, hey, well, while the past doesn't equal the future, it, it, was, it is encouraging to know we've been through tough economic times, and the markets have emerged to afford investors with positive returns. Market returns often come quickly and in large bursts before it is clear that we are out of the woods. That's a direct quote of yours truly here, Ethan. <laughs> I don't know. It is likely that the market will bottom before the economic data shows a clear exit from this recession. Right. It is imperative that investors do not get discouraged and exit the market before recovery begins. This is February 19th. This does not mean stocks won't go down further from here. And they did go down further until yeah, March 9th, exactly. that extra few weeks. It is not clear how far the market will push stocks down and fear that the recovery will start later than the FOMC projects. Investors who are able to stay focused on the specific investment time horizon they have should not be shaken by temporary setbacks. Markets tend to overshoot on both the pessimistic, pessimistic news and positive news and do so in unpredictable ways. It is important, however, to realize over the long run these excesses tend to reverse themselves. Fundamentally, markets provide returns commensurate with the long-term growth in earnings and dividends. It is our belief that capitalism, innovation, and the spirit of the entrepreneur will survive the current crisis. Now, not many people had that view February of 2009 that were in the, in the broad media. Now, there's a lot of good advisors like us who did. Right. And, and let's talk about what happened from, from March 9th uh, to June 30th, when now we know that was the formal end of the day. Well, by June 30th, the World Market Index, if you just look up the Vanguard World Index ETF, uh, was up 45, about 45%. So, so from, from the market bottom, you're saying from March 9th, and the, uh, the recession bottom, market bottom, to the end of the recession, world returns were up, you said 49%? 45%. 45%. So if you had not, if you gave up and jumped out and got out of the market, maybe you may, were able to make it that long, but you got out because you couldn't take it anymore. In a four-month period, you missed out on 45%, and it went on a globally diversified portfolio like we build. Right. Went on uh, when it, to peak in April of 2010. Mm -hmm. um, some of those global portfolios, depending on how you built them, were up 60 to 80%. Yeah. You know, in my view, it says a lot of, about your portfolio going into recession, you know, going into a down market, you really need to have confidence that's going to work. And if you have, you know, less confidence in, say, your own portfolio building skills or portfolio management skills, you really should be looking for the help of an advisor who, who constructs a portfolio that can get you through the tough times. So you don't have to make those type of decisions to be in or out of the market. When, that's right. When you should be in the whole time. Uh, so those are some of the, you know, discipline plays a, plays a role in, in it's just it's good to be diversified and stay with it, basically. Well, that's advice that, you can use. That's in the news, and I hopefully that <laughs> little nugget and the, the, the overriding theme of the last several shows here has been what can we learn from this most recent crisis and things that we should be doing now. 
We talked about knowing your market history. Uh, this is an example of knowing your market history. And at that time, we remained cool under fire and, and had a belief that we would that knowing our market history, knowing we've gone through difficult times and recessions and knowing how it is unpredictable how the stock market will react as we progress through those times, we held the course. Yeah, stuck, stuck to a discipline, spl- discipline plan. You actually rebalanced on or around that time as well. So cause stocks had declined quite a bit by that time, March 19th or so. And, you know, if you rebalanced, then you didn't quite catch the, the exact bottom of the market, but certainly was good enough to, to give some... Uh, some tailwinds when the, the recovery came. Well, Ethan, we've got to jump to the mill here. We're, we want to stay on track with our time. All right. You, you, oh, you, you, you've got mail. These are, these are really great clips. Is that Homer? Mail call. Gather around, everyone. Ooh. Well, let's see what's in the mail. Ooh. All righty, then. Well, you, you've got mail. Oh, it's mail not call. okay yet. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> this is a long one. <laughs> Well, oh, Ethan, um, I had uh, a question come up from an investor and um, and uh, wanted to get a response. And I thought we'd share it because typically if someone asks a question, other people want to know as well. Sure. And it ties in well because we're shortly we're going to go ahead and play um, another clip from, from Ken French that we interviewed. And he, he was involved in the research documenting um, the effect that I'm going to talk about. And so in the mailbag... This client was asking, hey, I, I realize that there's been research that shows um, that small company stocks as a group, as an investment category, have done better, have generated higher rates of return than large company stocks. Um, particularly if we segment time periods, they've done well. So an example would be during the 1975 through 83 time period, small cap stocks did almost double the rate of return that large cap stocks did. And so he was wondering, well, geez, you know, what, what, what is it about these specific periods of time uh, in history here when we look back at small caps where they've just done really well relative to, to large caps? And, and I don't know if the implication I asked him is that, hey, are you trying to build some strategy around that? Um, because I'm always a little leery. It's one thing to recognize that, hey, over long periods of time, um, and French did research, and it was going on before that by Rolf Bonds in the 80s, um, the cross-section of stock returns, what Fromm and French did, and where these returns come from, and that there is a, a size effect that small companies have tended to produce higher rates of return. And uh, just looking at the Ibbotson chart here in, in, our, in Simon's office, and through the end of 2009, uh, small stocks did about close to 12%, where large company stocks did a little less than than 10%. So there's been this premium there. And we're going to have, uh, we will have an interview with Roger Ibbotson um, yep. soon that we'll play on the show. Really excited about that. But the, the answer that, that um, as I looked into the, the research on this, is that there is a tendency for small company stocks to do better as we come out of recessionary periods. And uh, it looks like that that's happened in this most recent recession as we recovered from the, that market low in the, in the bottom. Small cap stocks did have done a little bit better. And, uh, oh, geez, someone's got emails coming in. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. It's, it's something we can take care of. But um, <laughs> anyway, small cap stocks have done better uh, c- coming out of recessions. And if you look back following um, the recession in the 70s and even prior to that, 
you note that that small cap stocks have done better. That's one explanation. Another one, Jeremy Siegel wrote a book called Stocks for the Long Run, and he talked about this 75 through 83 period where uh, the United States was recovering from one of the worst economic slowdowns since the Depression. And small caps typically, uh, as we said, do do better coming out of recession. When, um, and, they, and they tend to go down more when the economy struggles, and particularly when that struggle revolves around financing. Um, and so when banks and credit tends to tighten up, that affects small company stocks more severely than it does large company stocks, uh, is his notion in that. And, and during that, that period in the 7583, um, you had a situation where the ERISA Act, oh, oh geez, we're, we're being pulled away here. We, Already we're, again, we're too in quick. time constraints. Um, we'll jump back into this, and then we'll do the Ken French when we come back from the break. That sounds great. Okay. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. 
All right, Ethan. We were talking about small cap stocks. Let's get to business. All right. Got a lot to go through here. So basically, I was explaining what uh, Siegel's view was on the seventy-five, eighty-three period when when small caps just blew away large cap stocks, double almost double the return there. And uh, a couple of things were going on. Is one when we go into recessions, small caps tend to do worse, so they tend to rebound be- uh, faster when we come out. During that particular period of time, you had a situation where oil prices increased, and many of the large companies at that point were very, whether they were steel or motor or uh, companies that were very production-oriented, and so they were energy, uh, they weren't very energy efficient. So that, that affected them. And then you also had the fact that you had large-cap stocks, this nifty 50 group yeah, that right. had done very well in the preceding time period. And we all know styles have a tendency to go in and out of favor and alternate between best-performing asset groups, a large versus small, value versus growth. Those rotate. Um, and so you just come out of a period where those large cap stocks had done quite well previously. And uh, then you had the ERISA, which oversees you know the employee retirement income security. They made it easier for pension funds and other you know th- those types of institutional accounts to diversify into small caps. Hmm. So remember that you know the first large cap index fund was in the late seventies it came out. Um, and then you didn't have a small cap fund until later, even after that. Um, so not a lot of investors, Historically, we're targeting small caps as a specific and unique asset class. Yeah, it really wasn't until till later after, you know, the computing power got such where you can really do these types of studies into the 80s that you realize these differences in returns became available, or the knowledge of it, rather. And in our firm, we, we've created multiple, as we, we believe that there isn't a, one single perfect portfolio for every person. There are different ranges of of stocks to bonds that a person can look at. And then within those, different ways of constructing a stock portfolio based in academic and empirical research that says, hey, uh, I, I can get different things out of my portfolio um, by weighting things differently. I can have more small company. I can have less. I can have more value versus growth, more emerging markets. So we have multiple levels of equity portfolios that we offer clients who are in different situations um, who are looking to accomplish or extract um, different things from their, their equity portfolio. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want to contact us about to be happy to share about how we do that. Um, we've got all kinds of strategies that we do to try to get our clients matched up with the best possible set of solutions for their situation. So this idea of um, uh, that, you know, in the mail, the answer to this is that the question was, well, you know, what was going on during those periods? And the best that I can come up with is, hey, you know, that small caps have had a tendency to decline further and rebound faster going in and then out of recessions and then, um, you know, other things. So yep. we got to keep this train moving. That's the mail segment. Now we're going to uh, get back to our last week we pulled the clips um, from our interview with Ken French from Dartmouth. Ken's an academic. He's published in all the major journals and written Pretty uh, pertinent and groundbreaking research that he continues to do from Dartmouth. He's also uh, sits um, and, and is a part of uh, a very unique mutual fund company called Dimensional Fund Advisors that bases their strategies in, in academic research for the most part. And uh, we sat down with him, not literally, but through the phone. <laughs> and uh, the question we I'm going to play, um, you know, we're, with a theme that's been in our meat of the week segment, the bulk of what we've been talking is things that we can do right now. Um, 
as an investor what, what we should have learned after this crisis. And uh, we've got to keep moving. Um, let me go ahead and find this segment here, Ethan. All right. It's about a seven-minute clip, and we have uh, just enough time to play the clip and then come back for a break. All right, let's do it. Let's play this. In your view, did, did the financial crisis change the approach that investors should take to investing? Is there anything that, that an average individual investor should do differently because of this going through this financial crisis that we've gone through? Should investors do something different as a result of the crisis? Or should they change their approach? It's not obvious to me that the approach should be different. I think one of the things the crisis did was help people understand the riskiness of investing and help people understand their tolerance for that risk. So lots of people, if they're working with a financial advisor, for, for example, the advisor would have given them a survey that said, you know, if you lose 20% of your investment over a year, is that, you know, how do you feel? How bad is that? If you lose 40%, how bad is that? If you lose 50%, how bad is that? And most people, they've heard this risk-return trade-off story, and they misunderstand it to start with. They kind of think... Well, as long as I take the risk, I'll get the return. Mm -hmm. That's not what the theory says at all. Mm -hmm. What the theory says is if you take the risk, you get a higher expected return. So it's like saying, you know, there's two routes to get to Detroit. One of them's real smooth and safe, and it's going to take you a long time to get there. It's not the most direct route, but you'll get there. The other way, it's direct, but it's really bumpy, and it's real dangerous, and you'll get there really fast if you get there, but sometimes you veer <laughs> off and fall into Lake Michigan. <laughs> so, you know, it's like people don't hear that part, and what the financial crisis demonstrated to people was, guys, this risk, this is not some abstract notion. And what they learned, first, it was risky, and second, they've been fooling, a lot of people have been fooling themselves about their tolerance for risk. Okay, that, dang, this is really pretty painful. Now, having said that, it's not the case that everybody can reduce their allocation to equity. You know, oh, wow, we just learned that it's really scary and really painful. Let's get out of equity. All the equity has to be held by somebody. So unless what we're saying is everybody gets out, stock prices fall, okay, we can now reallocate our portfolios. If it used to be 60% equity, 40% bonds, we can go to 30% equity, 70% bonds. But that has to happen by prices falling. It can't happen by everybody selling stock. In other words, for every seller, there's got to be somebody willing to buy. So there's a total amount of risk that's going to be borne. And so we can't all say, whoa, that's pretty scary. Let's get out of equity. Just, there's an add up, adding up constraint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in, your, in your view, then, is, is, is for an investor trying to manage the amount of risk they take, 
um, what is the best way to do that? Is it still just adjusting your allocation from to stocks to bonds, or is it engaging in some of these other products that have rolled out that help you avoid stock market downturns? What are those products? Well, we've been we've seen a lot of these structured notes that offer a participation in the stock market with a limited amount of downside. So portfolio insurance. Yeah. Well, you can't forget, somebody has to bear that downside. Okay, now that, that payoff, that structure of that payoff, might be ideal for some investors. It's actually hard to find a, a utility function for which that is actually the optimal solution. But it's conceivable that there's somebody out there for whom that's the right payoff. But if they're giving up their downside, they want the upside and they want to give up the downside, they're going to have to pay to do that. Because mm-hmm. you've got to get somebody to bear the downside risk. And you're going to have to pay them to do that. So if you, know, if you have a very bizarre utility function, let's just take the simpler case so you're not going to take this nonlinear, not going to take the portfolio insurance type payoff. It may be the case that you're particularly risk-averse, and it makes sense for you to not bear your fair share of the overall risk in the market. Okay. And what I mean by your fair share is, you know, you have a total amount to invest. On average, there's an amount of risk that each dollar has to say, well, I don't want that. I want less risk. Well, you can think of it as though you're going to have to pay somebody else to take more than their fair share of the risk. Okay, how do you do that? Well, it must be the case that the less risky things have a lower expected return. That's not a shock. And the more risky things will have a higher expected return. If it's really the case now that everybody's become more risk averse, they've seen the pain, first they've seen the volatility, second they've seen the pain, and so people are more risk averse, what that would imply is the payoff, the, the expected payoff, let's be precise here. It may not be realized, but the expected payoff from taking that extra risk is probably higher now than it used to be. If people's effective risk aversion has gone up, well, it must be that those people that are taking more than their fair share are getting more than they would have in an expectational sense in the olden days. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the I keep worrying about the bumpy road to Detroit where sometimes, yeah, you bump along, but you never really make it. You die in a horrible car crash. Well, Ethan, we both have a lot to say about this Ken French interview here and what he just said. we got to take a break. We'll talk about it when we get right back. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, Ethan, we're back. And uh, let's dive into this. Want to maximize our time here? All right. We'd love to hear any questions or comments you have about the, the clip we just played from Ken French. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a message or get a hold of us, uh, please feel free at contact at empiradio.com or you can leave us a message at 800 254 0398 and we'd love to hear from you. Definitely give us a call. Well, there was a lot said um, ever so eloquently by Ken and what we were saying, and we want to, we want to, I want to talk about it. That's what we want to do. Okay. Sounds good to me. <laughs> we haven't even got through the conversation. You're playing the clip of the dollar sleep. Well, I know it's going to be good. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's just so much wisdom there that if you, if you implemented any of it, you would do quite well. Um, so in the beginning, I said, hey, is there anything different you know, as a result of this financial crisis that investors should do? It should be handling things differently. Um, and then we went on to talk a little bit about, well, gee, should they be viewing risk management in a different way? Um, and some of the products that are inevitably going to roll out, if the, there have already been several, we get hit and approached all the time. Um, 
and I'm sure there'll be more to come, emphasizing the fact that things are different now and what we should have learned from this last crisis is you can't sit by while, you know, your, your uh, portfolio goes in the tank or your, you know, advisor sits there. <laughs> well, so so let's, let's, let's talk about that. Well, number one, he was saying, well, no, what, what really happened here is that uh, you have people who should have gotten a better understanding what their real risk tolerance is because everyone liked to talk about that. And we see that. Investors have a tendency. They, you show them people, advisors show them a graph that says, hey, look at these portfolios. This one could go down this much. This one could go down that much. Yeah. Um, and some risk tolerance questions. The next thing you know, hey, okay, this is where I'm at. And the second the market starts to go down, yeah. What the heck are we doing here? <laughs> we got to get out of this thing. Yeah, this chart you look at, you have uh, various risk levels, right? Risk is measured by downside volatility. Uh, and you kind of gloss over the part when you're looking at the high returns of the very risky portfolio. Hey, an average thing does 12% per year. Well, there are times it goes down 40%. You know, it's possible. But we kind of, uh, we tended to gloss over, investors tend to gloss over that sometimes. And really, the risk is, it represents opportunity. It doesn't represent certainty. Right, it's not for sure you're going to get realize the the, the long term up average perhaps or even the the highest one year return in a particular portfolio. No. So I, and I think it's important to look at what he's not saying uh, as much as what he is saying. And what he's not saying, and this is a very bright person, but if I was taking portfolio advice, I I, I think I would at least consider what he's saying. And what he's not saying is well, what investors need to do now in this new paradigm of investment management is find strategies in which they can get in and out of the market and avoid these town downturns. Any advisor is going to market time them as soon as the, the you know, put stop loss orders in or as soon as the market goes down or some active approach that involves uh, long short funds or any of those kinds of things. He's not saying that at all. I didn't, saying, hear, I didn't hear it at all in the seven minutes he spoke. No. Um, but I think that's what, what maybe some people are, 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 taking away from that. And we're saying that's not what you need to take away. You need to be, you need to have a clear understanding of what risk really is when you're investing, period. I think you have that knowledge, you're armed with that knowledge going into it, you're bound to make better decisions coming out of it. And as we progress the discussion and we started to talk about, well, Jesus, are there other ways that investors should be looking at managing this risk other than uh, adjusting their allocation of risky to less risky investments like stocks and bonds? And and these, some of these products that are being issued that are saying, hey, this is a way to avoid the market downturn and participate in some of the market up, up upside. And basically what he was saying is, in layman's terms, if you fall for those products, basically you're getting less return. And you could create that by simply adjusting your allocation of stocks to bonds. And another thing to consider is that if investors as a whole Mm-hmm. are less tolerant of risk because the market now is more risky because we've seen the market rear its ugly head and go down. That risk, that market risk has, has appeared. Um, everyone can't get out of stocks. Someone has to own the stocks that are in the market. And so what it means is that if people want to be compensated for the risk they take, there's probably a higher expected rate of return going forward if that is the case to compensate investors for taking on that additional yeah. equity risk. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If, if if no one was willing to bear equity risk, equities would be at zero. But because there are people who are, who are owning and, and buy stocks, 
uh, they're just taking on a larger, the remainder of those people are, are taking on a larger share of the, the existing risk, which means that there must be, at some point in time, you know, compensation for that risk, or at least the expectation for compensation. Now, what that means in our list here, you know, we were talking about, we left off about, uh, um, you know, use your fixed income correctly, know your market history. Is that, uh, those were out of 17 here, We I think we ended last week on, on number 11, and uh, is that you want to get that asset allocation right from the very get-go. Yeah. And you don't want to, if you listen to the show today, and we talked about how, you know, at the, at the, the, the risk aversion was highest heading into March 9th of 2009, just a couple months before the formal end of the recession. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, equity return were extreme, expectations were extremely high at that point because there was very little tolerance for risk in equities. But um, any, anywho, Ethan, uh, we've only got a couple minutes here. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we, we dive into, um, back into our, you know, ways of, our list of ways of money, managing your money. And the next one on the list, 12, was get help from an advisor who has your best interest in mind. Maybe you can talk about that in the context of what we do, and then let's wrap it up. Yeah, maybe we can, we can kick that off now and, and maybe continue next, next time here. But basically, you know, when you enter into any type of, say, a real estate transaction, right, or any, any type of, uh, uh, of service where you look for the advice of an expert, uh, you want to make sure that they have your interest in mind exclusively. You don't want them to have a split interest, perhaps their own or somebody else's interest when they're, they're dealing with you. You're, you're paying them for your, their services and their expertise. And that's what, you know, that's how we, I view my job, right? I, I feel like I, I do that. I put the, the interests of our clients ahead of my own economic interests. And there's many examples that, that we can go through and um, perhaps talk about in future shows. And so maybe we'll, we'll start the conversation with that. And then right now we're going to wrap it up for today. And okay. we'll begin this conversation again next week. Well, if you're an individual investor, uh, wherever you are throughout the country, you and if you're looking for an advisor you can trust, if you want to give us a call directly here at our firm, Empirical Wealth Management, we'd be happy to take you through our no-obligation uh, process, free discovery and proposal process. You can give us a call at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You can ask for Ken Smith or Ethan Broga uh, or any of the advisors here in our office. And if you're a financial advisor looking to connect with a, a firm like Empirical, give us a call as well. And you can visit our website at empiricalfs.com. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll be having uh, our interview with Roger Ibbotson, who's an academic from Yale, uh, who's done some great things, and we'll play some of that next week. See you soon. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you next week. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. 
Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.